I'm so thankful on Sundays that are communion Sundays. And I don't know about you, but for me, it just feels like there is a power after that. I'm ringing on it. There is a power that falls on those who worship him after that. There's just a power that comes from that. And I I can't even quite put my finger on it, but even during worship, and I know the Lord told me to take my shoes off again, and, and there was just a presence that he wants us to recognize. There's a presence in your life that he wants you to recognize. You realize whether you see him or not, whether you recognize him or not, whether you know he is there or not, he's there. Right? And as you build relationship with him, you begin, you begin to recognize that more and more and that that relationship becomes tangible. Well, it's extraordinary to me how real that relationship can become. How real, even in comparison to the other relationships that we have. My wife and I have been married, it'll be 30 years this year, right? <laughs> Don't say it feels like 50. No, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure last year was 29. 30 comes after 29, right? Okay. She and I have been married for 30 years, or coming on 30 years, and there is not another human being that's closer to me. And yet to come to the realization and, and the actual understanding that Jesus Christ and my relationship with Him can be more real than what I've experienced with my wife for 30 years. That's an extraordinary thought. That is something I didn't understand all the years of 40 years of being a Christian. Didn't understand that 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 relationship was available. I thought that it was about obedience. I've always known it was about obedience. I've always known that there's a good and a bad, right? That there's opposing forces. What I didn't realize is that the Son of God who became a man, who died on the cross for me, who rose from the grave, who sits at the right hand of the Father, He could be my best friend in the most tangible way that you can imagine. It's just its extraordinary to me. And there's nothing for me, I don't know about you, but there's nothing for me that brings that out more than wholehearted worship. Not just singing for singing. But when your heart knows that you are before the throne of God and you are worshiping at His feet. It's just extraordinary. We're in Acts chapter 13 today. We'll see what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Father, we worship You. We praise You, Lord. I give You my mouth. I give You my hands, my feet. I give you my eyes. I give you my thoughts. Father, I give you my yes. And what I ask, Lord, this morning is that you speak what you want. Suppress anything in my mind that would come from me. Just take it out. Father, I give permission to just rip it out. Because as eager as people are here to hear from you, so am I. For I know that in you there is only truth. In you there is victory. In you there is peace. In you there is love. In you there is joy. So Father, I ask that you speak. 
I am also confident, Lord, that as you do this, your Holy Spirit has already been preparing hearts for whatever it is that you want to say. That you have been speaking to individuals already. You have been reaching out in love, reaching out in conviction. God, so we ask that you do your full work and speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 says this. And we're going to go through my, my, my plan, my hope. <laughs> we'll see where we get. But my plan is to go through the entire chapter. Um, I promise you it will not be like Ignition College on Thursday nights where we get through a sentence and then we seem to backtrack. I, I don't know how that happens. It takes five years to get through a chapter there, but uh, I don't know. You guys aren't allowed to talk, so maybe we'll get somewhere. <laughs> Sorry, that was not a slam on our young people at all. I'm just kidding. All right, now there there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, now recognize what they're doing at the time. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so seeking Him with intent, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want to stop for just a moment to point something out. Remember, I I like for you to put yourself into the position of where they're at right then. Okay? And then we compare that to where we're at right now. It's important to do this because otherwise we tend to put, we, we tend to displace or put a, a gap between who we are and who they were in the Word of God. And that's dangerous because then you can think that, well, only certain things apply. Okay, but I want to point out to you, the very same things that happened to us were happening to them right then. They were seeking God. They were fasting. They were going after Him. They were worshiping Him for the purpose of Him speaking. For the purpose of Him letting them know what is the next step. What is it that you want? Not, not just for the purpose of, well, God, we need our laundry list of what we're supposed to do today. But it's more like, God, we're not going to move until you say move. Until you, you take our feet and guide that first step and tell us where we need to go. We don't want to make a move without you. So they were fasting, they were praying, they were going after What God wanted. And then the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. They went after an answer and they got an answer. Let that sink in a second. They went after an answer and got an answer. As a church, this is not individually. This is not just just Peter or John, the leaders at that time, saying, I'll go before the Lord and he'll speak to me and I'll let you know what he says, like with Moses. It wasn't like that. They came together as a family and they said, we want to know. We want you to speak. And then the Holy Spirit spoke. It's easy to brush right by that because I have a thousand times. Until we've experienced that in our own church. How do you think the Holy Spirit spoke? You ever think about that? Where it says, And the Holy Spirit said. See, they didn't open the Word of God and say, Okay, what's it say about Paul and Barnabas? Let's figure this out. The Holy Spirit said it. 
must have wrote it down somewhere. No, it said the Holy Spirit said. Now, it doesn't say how he said it. He could have manifest and he could have said it openly. I kind of think that it probably would have said something if he did that. Just like Jesus coming as a man, right? But he spoke and they all knew it. It was not spoken to just a single person. It was spoken to the church. Now we've experienced that. We've experienced it in different ways. We've experienced it through interpretation of tongues. We've experienced it through a manifestation of prophecy. Okay, but my point is, they sought after an answer, and the Holy Spirit said, and he told them what to do. Now, immediately upon knowing what they were supposed to do, what did they do? They obeyed. They didn't take it, well, you know what, let's have a conference, let's figure this out, and let's, let's, see, let's see if this really was the Lord. Let's see if, if, if this coincides with, with what these other churches are saying, or what this group's saying, or what that group's saying, because, because it doesn't necessarily make sense. I mean, I mean, Saul, of all people, Saul's trying to kill everybody. So what, what, you know, let's talk about this, because maybe we're getting it wrong. See, you don't see anything like that in there. Why? It's because when you draw close to Jesus Christ in relationship, your spirit then confirms with that which is said that is from his spirit. It's this little trick that is not a trick at all. You ever wonder why somebody can discern what the Lord says and some cannot. Now, outside of giftings, I can tell you that it cannot be understood without the presence of relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says we're to have the mind of Christ. We're to literally allow God to develop in us the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean, well, I'm, I'm just obedient? I'm just, that just means I need to take this list of things I'm supposed to do and do them. And be obedient and be good. And I can't lie anymore. And I can't do this. I can't do this. That's not what it means. To have the mind of Christ means to have the recognition to see things how he sees them. By the way, that means seeing yourself how he sees you. Seeing Him for who He is. Seeing the Father who He represents for who the Father is. Having the mind of Christ is coming into synchronicity with His heart. When you do that in relationship with Him, and, and by the way, it takes time. This isn't something you just say a quick prayer and, wow, I have an awesome relationship now doesn't work that any anybody here ever had a relationship that takes just a little bit of time to build right it's taken my wife and I 30 years I'm finally getting to a point where she likes me <laughs> after 30 years no I'm just kidding <laughs> it takes me I'm not there yet right I'm hoping in the next 30 Bottom line, it takes time. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes a willingness to be wrong. Oh my goodness, that's a tough one. Are you willing to be wrong with Jesus Christ? Are you willing to, to set aside what you think is correct and say, Jesus, show me truth? Show me truth. That was a tough one for me, man. Because I thought I knew it all. I had been teaching the Bible for, for some 25 years. Enjoying the fact that I knew more than most other people. That I could, I could go through Genesis and the first six chapters of Genesis. And if I didn't get them in the creation, oh, I'll get them at the flood. Because they're not going to know some of these things. I was prideful in that. So it wasn't the knowledge that drew me close to Christ. 
It was the willingness to be wrong. Lost me? Here, I'll, I'll start talking in this. Um, batteries. I had a feeling. Please. Battery, please. Sorry for those who were online that I just cut out my battery died there. But, uh, but here, Josh. Uh, two double A's, I believe. I was literally going to change those before I started and thought, oh, I'll do it next time. <laughs> Guess what? So I don't want to lose track here, though. I don't want to lose track because this is important. See, are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to look at what Jesus Christ is trying to show you and recognize it's not what you've known your whole life? How else can he do a new thing? Which is what he said. He said, I am, behold, I am doing a new thing. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? He's told us that. He's told us that even individually. So if you know everything, how can you learn a new thing? The only way you can is by allowing Christ to give you his mind. And when you do that, you begin to open up scripture and you begin to read and you begin to understand things that you had never understood before. Things that perhaps didn't make sense before or they made sense in a different way. Am I on now? Am I on? Hello? Yes, yes? yes. okay. There we go. Good, thank you. Things that didn't make sense before or things that you thought were a different way before, now begin to make sense. And, and all of a sudden, wow, the, the Bible really does tie together. Those pieces that didn't make sense before make sense now, but it came from having the mind of Christ. It didn't come through learning a knowledge of Christ. It didn't come from going to school for 12 years to learn about Him. How many in here would say, would dare say that, that Peter's relationship with Christ or John's relationship with Jesus Christ is, is probably a pretty good relationship back then? I, I would hope you'd think that. I mean, that, that's, what the, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Okay, they didn't go to school for learning about Jesus. In fact, until they met him, they didn't even know who Jesus was. They didn't have the benefit of what we have the benefit of. And yet in three years, in three years, they learned enough about him, about his character, about who he is, about how to let him work in their lives that they changed the world. See, so it's not about knowledge. And I'm not downing knowledge. I'm certainly not downing school or anything like that. But what I'm saying, if you are not pursuing Christ in relationship with Him, understanding that that is a tangible thing, you're missing it. You're missing the boat. You're missing what Scripture is saying there. So the Holy Spirit spoke. And He said, set them apart. And immediately they obeyed. They laid hands on them. And sent them off. So there was something very special that happened there that is going to come up a little bit later. There was an anointing placed on these two men. Because that was called out by the Holy Spirit to do a specific work that he had them to do. And so they laid hands on them. They anointed them for this calling and they sent them. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, and this, this is kind of Paul and Barnabas' first thing, right? They're going out, just the two of them, they're going out. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to, to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, 
which I think is interesting because they're supposed to be called to the Gentiles. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which, by the way, means son of. It's kind of like saying, oh, son of Jesus. Okay. Now recognize this, this hasn't been that long, right? Uh, I mean, I suppose he could lie and, and who knows how old this guy was. But, he, but that's what Jesus means, son of Jesus. He, he, was, he was attaching himself to Jesus Christ. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, however you pronounce that, which is the, the magician's name, that's actually what it means. It means the magician, his, his name. Opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now this is extraordinary. Okay, and Matt, again, put yourself in this situation. Put yourself in Paul and Barnabas' situation where they're coming to this new city. They have, have built this relationship with Jesus Christ. They know, first of all, Paul's already been told things he's going to face. He's already been told what God wants to do in his life. He's spent 14 years where God has been working with relationship with him, telling him all the things that was going to happen. That's what it said. That's, that's why he spent that time with them. So coming into this situation, they come to the proconsul who had asked them to be there to tell them about Jesus Christ. They begin telling it, and then there's this magician there who apparently people must believe for him to have the position and the ear of the proconsul. He's there, and he's opposing them directly. That's what's going on. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, which was a result of, that, of the laying on of hands that happened earlier, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I can only imagine at the time you could hear a pin drop. I mean, I mean, think about that. This is a person who has the ear of the proconsul. This is a person who has position and influence, not only over the proconsul, but because of that over the people. He has influence. He has the ability to sway crowds. And that's what he begins to do. And what does Paul do? Paul calls him out. And he says, this is what you're doing. He calls him out in front of everybody. He, he calls him what he is. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, I don't know if the Lord gave him a word right then. I tend to believe that the Lord was already speaking through him. And what came next was not just something Paul wanted to do, but what came next was something directly from the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Yeah, the proconsul believed. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an obvious statement. How, how would you feel if you're sitting here watching and, and it's, it's literally like, like 
UFC, what is it, 185 now, I don't know, 347, however many they're up to. UFC, it's like this UFC match where Paul is teaching about the, the, the teachings of Christ. This magician stands up who knows he would lose his position and says, no, no, that faith isn't correct. That isn't right. And Paul immediately calls him out and says, because of that, this will happen right now. And it happened. Not only did the proconsul believe, I'll guarantee you, everybody in that place believed. So what precipitated that? What brought that about? Is is that just something that happens in the Word of God? Or is that something that's supposed to happen now? You know, we look at the bride, we look at our, our churches, global churches, and for the most part, they're really a mess. You know, in, in all the different parts of the world that I've been to, it's no different. It's no different. There's greed. There's corruption. You know, we like to think we don't have that in the United States, but it's here too. It's all over. Because the real bride, and and by the way, I am talking about those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. I'm talking about churches that that preach in salvation, that preach the, the saved by grace message. That's who the bride is. Those who don't believe in salvation by grace, those who don't believe that you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, they're not part of the bride anyway. They may call themselves a church, but they're not part of the bride. Those who are part of the bride are the ones that are scattered all over the place, believing all kinds of things, taking matters into their own hands, doing whatever they feel is right. You know, just like Israel, I, I, I was, I've been going through the Old Testament again and, and, and coming up through Judges where, where it talks about Israel didn't have a king yet and, and, and you know, they had different judges at different times and, and because of how scattered they were, Israel just kind of did what they felt was right. Okay, how is that any different than us? How is that any different than the bride today? We do what we feel is right. We do. We often take the path of least resistance. Certainly as a church we do that. Well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to upset people. I'm telling you, I've been part of churches that the very reason not to point out sin, the very reason not to point out problems is because you did not want to lose your tithers. Wow, what a dangerous place to be. What a dangerous place to literally place that need before what God wants to do. Well, I am here to declare and I'm here to tell you that this will happen again in the bride. That it will come to where the declaration of God's truth is more important than bringing in a buck. Than bringing in what makes us feel good or what makes us comfortable. And I, I, don't, I don't want to down any, any other church. It's not about that. As Paul said, I, I would wish that all churches will be like this. That all churches would just trust in what God wants to do because He is a living God. He is living in relationship with us, which means as I'm preaching, He's standing right here next to me. He's right here with me. How can I preach something that is not of Him, knowing He's right here with me? Here, Jesus, just put these earplugs in for a second. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you put it like that, it just, did you say he's taller? Ouch. He's, he's, he's Jesus. He's like 300 feet. Remember, Jesus is a man. But bottom line, yeah, let, yeah let's, let's not divert on that one. It's important to understand that you cannot hide 
your intent from Jesus Christ. Especially as a leader. As a leader, you cannot hide your intent from even the people that you lead. Transparency is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. That's what's preached here. That's what's needed here. That's what's needed in the bride. See, the bride will never come to the understanding of what Jesus sees in her without there being that transparency, without there being that willingness to stand up. That's what Paul did. He called him out. Now, this, this was pretty black and white, right? I mean, he's saying against Jesus, okay, call you out. What about when it's a little tougher? What about when it's not black and white? The sad part the sad part about the church today is they're not willing to speak truth. And even the, even the pastors, because that's where it has to begin. The pastors have to be the ones that are transparent. They can't teach transparency without being transparent themselves. They can't teach relationship without having relationship themselves. How can you teach something you don't know? So Paul gives us an example here of what was important in the church. See, when he was sent, he was sent with a mission. We're sent with a mission. God has revealed this mission to us. So when something comes in the way of that mission, what do you do? You have to let Jesus Christ lead it. You have to let Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit show you what to do. Because I'll tell you what, human reasoning is never going to come up with the right answer. Human reasoning is going to hide. Human reasoning is going to control. Human reasoning is going to choose just about anything from what the Lord really wants. So you have to be able to rely on the Lord to give the answer. For the Lord to direct the purpose. And the only way to do that and be correct in it is relationship. Is having the mind of Christ. Verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So now they're just on their own. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. That's like, that's like saying to a preacher, Hey, yeah, you can have the microphone. <laughs> okay, be, be careful what you ask for. That's right. So, so Paul, Paul goes into this experience, and I'm going to read through it because I was reading it again this morning. It's important to get a flavor for what he's doing here. But again, put yourself in this situation. Put yourself into the situation of receiving what Paul is saying. You're in the synagogue, right? It's the Sabbath. You're there to worship. It's kind of like if us coming on a Sunday morning. You're there to worship. You're there to hear from the Lord. You're there to hear something good, something that you could take into your life and make your life better. Right? That's the majority of all this. And, and remember that, that recognize that up until the point of Jesus Christ, and really what Peter, Peter's vision of the lowering of, of the, the sheet with all the unclean animals, up until that point, recognize Gentiles were not included. Right? To worship Jesus, you had to worship Jesus, or I mean to worship God, you had to worship God through Jerusalem, through Israel. That's how you went to him. And, and so this is all just brand new and fresh. So Paul goes into this, 
this history lesson, and then he brings, brings it to, to an amazing conclusion. Let's read through it. Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. He's given them a history lesson here. Remember what happened. Israel, through, through Jacob and his sons, went to, went to Egypt because of this incredible famine in the country. And after Joseph and the, the next leader kind of died and didn't recognize Joseph, and, and they became their slaves. Well, in Egypt for 400 years, they had built up from, I think, I think Jacob came there with about 70 people, roughly. And then over the course of this 400 years, they built into this vast nation. Okay, we know over a million left Egypt at the time when, when Moses brought them out. So, so built into this vast nation, and, and he's given them this, this history lesson. And with uplifted arm, he led the, oh wait, uh, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it through Moses. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I love that. He put up with it. By the way, why did he put up with them? Because Moses asked him to. God wanted to just, you know what, let's just. Take, take you, you know, those etch-a-sketches? Oh, I messed up. Just start all over again. That's what God said he wanted to do. And Moses said, no, 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 don't. Now, I wonder if at the end, if Moses could have looked back and see what all that choice made, if he would have said, you know what, yeah, let's, let's start over. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure he wouldn't have, but that's all right. Because literally, those choices cost him the promised land. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So they took the land through Joshua. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found a, in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who what? Who will do all my will. Are you, are you one of those people? Are you a person that will do his will? Is that something stated in your heart? That's what he saw in David. Then Paul begins to tie and weave, weave this web of, of this prophecy. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he had promised before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Recognize that Israel thought John was a prophet. That's what they thought John was. Before, uh, and, and as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Now he's beginning to tie it together with Jesus. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. See, right about now it probably started to get uncomfortable. It probably now, now recognize there are not just Jews in the synagogue. You're going to see that in a minute. There are Gentiles there as well. But what Paul is saying is those who were his people 
were who put him to death. And there were a lot of those people there. Paul was not one to really care. (laughs) If you read any of Paul's epistles, he was not one to really care about what people thought. He certainly didn't care about his life. Now, he also had the advantage that God said, this is what will happen to you. This is also what I have for you. So if you put two and two together, and I, I won't go into it now, but when Paul was shipwrecked on, on uh, they, the ship was going down and they were shipwrecked on the island, and he's telling the, the captain, the guard there, he said, he said, well, he said, we'll be okay. We're not going to die. And if you stay with me, you'll be okay. And luckily they did. How did Paul know that? It's because he had confidence in that relationship with Jesus Christ who told him what was going to happen. In a very small way, we've experienced the same thing. I knew, although what was prophesied that would happen to me in Nigeria last time I went, I knew that there would be nothing that would take my life. Why? Because then all the other prophecies, all the other things that Jesus told us wouldn't come true. And nothing changed in my heart to be obedient to him. So recognize in your own life, the the result of relationship is understanding what God wants. The result of relationship is a boldness. It's a boldness in coming before and speaking out what God wants. Boy, that's what the church needs. Now, by the way, not speaking out in judgment. Okay? It's not about saying, you know, you're rotten and nobody follow him and we're just going to do this and, and whatever. I mean, it's about speaking truth for the purpose of healing. It's like we talked about last week. If you have a wound, that wound has to be cleaned out. It has to be, remember the methylate? I think I had nightmares about that afterwards. And they sell it now? Really? Yeah, thanks. That's not what I want for Christmas, by the way, just to be clear. (laughs) Although maybe I'll give it to my kids. That that would just be like my... (laughs) It would be like my revenge. But see, when, when we... The closer we draw with Jesus Christ the purpose of confrontation, the purpose of of what Paul did here was love. It was love. It wasn't condemnation. Verse 27, I believe. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. That's another one of those but gods. It's awesome. For many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with the fathers and saw corruption. In other words, David died. He's in the grave. His flesh all got eaten away and whatever happens to them. And then there's bones, right? That happened to David. His flesh saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, 
Talking about Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. See what Paul's saying here is you've got to take something out of the way to be able to understand the gospel of Christ. You've got to take something out of the way to understand relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're sitting there right now and thinking uh, this whole relationship thing, no, that that can't be right. That doesn't make sense. You know, he's a spirit. He's He's not something tangible. If you're thinking that these things are not possible, that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He said, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your day, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. That's what was prophesied. That they wouldn't believe even if someone told them Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was raised from the dead. Or even as I say to you today, that he wants a relationship with you. That relationship can be as real or more real than any relationship you have ever had or will ever have. But yet there's something that causes a person not to believe. And that's pride. There's an innate pride in each one of us that has to be given over, that has to be squelched, that has to be stopped, that has to be broken. Because no matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, that pride is about what we either have accomplished, can accomplish, or don't want to give up. So it's a choice. And that's what, that's what he's saying that You have this choice. You can give up the pride and let Jesus Christ teach you relationship, which requires you to swallow pride. Or you can not believe. And you can succumb to your own pride. You know, a result of that People that seek, that, that, that want God, that seek God, but do not want to give up their pride, are people that seek Him intellectually. You cannot, understand what I say, you cannot understand Jesus Christ simply intellectually. If you don't understand Him with your heart, if you don't let Him into your heart, which means taking a pride away, you will never understand Him. You'll never understand that relationship with Him. Which along with that relationship comes the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, kindness. That pride has to be put out of the way first. And that pride comes in so many forms. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city, I don't know how many people that was, but it was the whole city. You'd guess it was a lot of people. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. See, that's the outward portion of that pride. That word portion that they, they cannot admit that they did not know what was 
the best, or that they did not live the best, or they did not have all the right answers. See, because they had pride filled in their lives of people coming to them instead of going to God. Now, they're, they're about to lose all that because there could be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Wait a second. I, I'm a priest. That's kind of my job, Jesus. You're here to take my job. You know, you can imagine their mind frame. But see, understand that their goal in the first place was not to find God. Their goal in the first place was to find power. Was to have a pride in themselves. A pride in what they were doing. Verse 46. Now remember, they're speaking again, and, and now the Jews are coming and just fighting him on it. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, talking about the Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. That's a tough statement to say in the synagogue, <laughs> in front of all these people. We're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. We'll just finish up. Chapter 13, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. By the way, I, I don't know if it's painfully obvious to you, but the way Satan works in a large scale, whether it be a nation, whether it be a town in this case, do you know he works the same all the time? He goes after the people that have something to lose. These people, these high, high women in society, these high men in society, they had something to lose in this. The high priests, the, the priests had something to lose in this in their mind. Because, see, they saw them as the leaders instead of Jesus Christ as the leader. Satan does the same thing now. That's what he's done in our government for years. But, see, we've come to a new time. We've come to a new day. We've come to a day where there will be Pauls that stand up and say, you're wrong. You are wrong, and what you're doing is against God and against this nation that was established by God. I'm so excited and eager and thankful that those days are here. Those days are beginning, and you're going to see it over and over and over again. Now the beautiful thing is it's not about those men and women that stand up and are bold for Christ. They're the mouthpiece of what Jesus is doing, of what the Holy Spirit is doing. So the Holy Spirit is work is at work on the other side, just like what he's doing on, on our prayer call every night. We pray against what he does in this country. We pray for transparency. I don't know if you've seen what's going on lately, but just turn your TV on for a second. You're going to see. Transparency is beginning to happen. And not because some bold people stood up and said no in the courtyard, but because groups of people have hit their knees and said no in the throne room. 
See, that's the power. That's, that's where you have God's ear. And when we come together in unity and we say, no more, Lord. No more in this country. No more in the bride. No more. He listens. In fact, he's been waiting for people to do that very thing. We're going to close here. I'm going to close with a prayer that the Lord just laid on my heart. Father, I come before you and I ask permission to enter your court. I ask permission that my voice be heard. Father, we declare your will be done. And the focus of this right now is your bride. I thank you for the transparency that you are bringing to this country, to this government. And I am confident that you will continue to do that. But Father, what I ask right now, before your throne, as I humbly stand here before you, I ask that the mouths of those who speak for your bride, that speak out of pride, that speak out of selfishness, that speak out of fear, that speak out of hate. I ask their voice to be silenced. In Jesus' name and by the power of his blood, for they do not represent the mind of Christ. And I ask that you do this in your bride. For it is according to your will. You have stated in your word that your bride must be readied. So I declare, Father, it is time. Your children cry out, it is time. And we ask, Lord, that you silence those voices and bring about your change. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I was thinking about the, the example of David that was given in those, that passage and the path that he went down when he fell into temptation and sin with Bathsheba. You know, the best thing that ever happened to him was when the prophet Nathan confronted him in his sin. And as you read in the Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 51, where he cries out to the Lord in repentance and asking for forgiveness. And says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And that was the turnaround. Because God is always faithful and just to forgive us. But oftentimes, we just need the truth. And truth spoken in love is a difficult thing. It's very interesting um, that I knew that he was studying Acts. But it's interesting how much in sync that this message was with what the women discussed today. um, Because of the strategy of the enemy against relationships. And the concept of Acts 13 and speaking the truth in love, I was looking at some Proverbs verses, you know, um, the heartfelt counsel of a friend, um, better put my glasses on, is as sweet as perfume and incense. Iron, just, and this is all from Proverbs 27, but as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. A lot of people know that verse. But there's so many verses in there that if you cover your sin, you'll not prosper. And 
what is it that you need to receive truth about? I'll never forget my sister years ago um, came, came for a visit and we were in one of our businesses at the time and just dealing with just problems and problems and struggles. And finally she said to me, she said, Lack, she said, you are just so negative. Everything that's coming out of your mouth is just negative. It's just like, because I was trying to express my frustration and concern and I wanted somebody to understand but she just said, she said, I just know that's not what, what God wants to hear coming out of your mouth. And I, everything swirled through me. First thing was pride and offense and how dare you and no, that's not true and all the stuff that pride tells you. But what God did when I finally just got on my face before God and said, could that be true? You know, sometimes people say things that are just mean and hurtful. But what we need to do we need to go before the Lord and say, is there any part of this that I need to receive to change in my life? Sometimes there are things we can weed out as just unfortunate and a criticism and a judgment that's not of God. But do you, do you just block everything out when somebody says something that may be honest but hard to hear and hurtful because of maybe their delivery? She didn't deliver it very nicely. She delivered it out of her frustration. She had had it with my expression of my frustrations. But I still had to go before the Lord. I was, res I was responsible for receiving that. And that was a turning point in my life of changing my language to praise, uh, recognizing when negativity was, was about to come. And I'm telling you, when I look back, and I, I was reminded of this as Greg was, was preaching today, I thought the breakthroughs I have had from that moment, from that crossroads of deciding to either be offended and really just not be that close to my sister anymore because how dare she? You know, because sometimes that's where we land. I was at that crossroads. I could either act like that or I could go before the Lord and say, could this be true? Show me. Was this her or was this me that needed a word? And after receiving that, confessing that, being real with that truth, breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough came. And I mean from long time, many year struggles. And it was really a test. It was a test of my humility. And I'll tell you, humility does not come easy. But it's way easier to humble yourself than to let God do it. You let God humble you, there's a harder road, okay? Because when you submit yourself, therefore, to God, okay, you're going to find that, you, that the enemy will flee and you'll have God's power. But if God has to submit you, that's what's, what's trouble. So... I want to encourage you, um, look deeper into the, the power of, you know, receiving when people say things. And also, remember, you are not helping. You are not helping somebody. If you know of somebody in bondage and you have that relationship and the Holy Spirit lays on your heart to go to them and, and approach them, you are not loving them and helping them if God's leading you to say something and you are leaving them in their bondage. My sister did not. She could have just been quiet and said, well, she's got a stronger personality than me. I guess I'll just not say anything. But she boldly was obedient because she had been wrestling with it. And she boldly spoke out. And it was then on me to humble myself. So what changes do we need to make? Some of you, maybe, maybe it's an attitude change. Maybe it's a personal habit. Maybe it's a coping mechanism. Everything from TV, iPad, food, you name it. Things that we are coping with. If there are changes that need to be made, will you receive truth and love? Boy, receive the truth and love that God's giving you right now. Because every time you decide to go, oh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, but whatever, and we go our own way, God's love will bring us back around the mountain. And then the next time we hear that truth, it may not be quite so easy. And then the next time, it won't be easy. Before he ends up lovingly laying you flat out and saying, look, I love you, Alexis. You are done with this. And that's the hard way. Some of you are at the place where it doesn't have to be the hard way. If you just say, yes, Lord, I get it. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And it might just be too, just a starting up. You know, there's sins of omission and commission. Things you're doing that you need to stop. And then things you just need to get, get your fanny going and get start going. Start that prayer. Start that reading the Bible. Start seeking him. Not just coming to church and singing about seeking him, but actually seeking him in your day-to-day -day walk. Some of you just need to do it, like the Nike commercial. Just do it. You can start small. 
but just do it, you know. And, uh, and so God is, you know, he's really bringing ignition to a crossroads. Just like uh, Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's one or two, says, you know, it's time to break camp, break camp, and get up and go occupy the land. He is taking us forward, but we got to break we got to break the camp, and, and, and essentially that can be translated into we got to break up with some stuff in our lives. What do you need to break up with in your life? Get rid of some junk and go and occupy the land of your destiny. So, so, so important. So this is a great word today, and I uh, hope you'll listen to it again and again. Um, on the, uh, I hope you have the app. Um, does anybody, who has the app? Raise your hand. You have the Ignition app. It's so easy. And I am so the opposite of, I'm like a dinosaur when it comes to tech. I'm just, it's weird. Anyways, um, I, uh, 